And here in chapter 35, verse 4, is where Moses calls the people together and he says this, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, ramskin, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense, the unic stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate, which, of course, Aaron the high priest would wear. And again, we've covered these things in previous studies. But these are all the materials necessary to build the tabernacle and for the garments that the priest would wear and for the outside sacrifice, the bronze altar where the animal sacrifices would take place, which point to Christ, as the book of Leviticus will tell us as we get there. Now we read on, so the details are given what all these things will look like in verses uh, 10 through 19. So we read on in verse 20 a bit more about this. So the invitation went out, and now we read, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and that would be from that invitation. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all of its service and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord, and every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat hair, red skins of rams, and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of the goat's hair. The rulers brought unic stones and the stones to be set in the ephod of the breastplate and the spices and the oil for the light, for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord. All the men and the women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. Verse 30. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Beaziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he, that is the Lord, has filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Ahilab, the son of Asimach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and of the weavers, those who do every work and those who design artistic work. And Beziel and Ahilab and every gifted artesian in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord commanded. So this is the record of the cry to go out, the call to go out for the need that's there that they can be a part of. Then we see them respond to that and then we see people equipped to fulfill the actual doing and the work of it. In surveying a few chapters after this, we see that the people bought more than enough. In fact, they were told to stop bringing. I cannot find another example of that 
off the top of my head in the bottle that I can think of, that it's so unique and so special that they said you've brought too much. They had more than they needed for this project and the people could hold on to it. We know contextually they received these goods when they left Egypt. For you recall, the Lord said, I'll give you favor in the eyes of the Egyptian and your neighbors will give you their wealth and you will go with plenty and you will not go empty handed when you leave Egypt. So the Lord had the Egyptians give their wealth to the Israelites who definitely earned it in slavery during that time. And now God's allowing the children of Israel to bring that wealth back to him to build the central place of worship to their benefit as a model of things in heaven for his glory and to their benefit. In the few chapters that follow this before the end of the book, we read that they did do this work. And there's an accounting and a record of them actually building and doing everything, building the tabernacle, the altar of incense, the showbread, the lamp, and all these things. They built it all. And then actually the last chapter, chapter 40, they dedicate it, and the Lord approves of their offering because the priests were ready to go. It was opening day, if you will. And there when they dedicated it, this tabernacle, the central place of worship, that we're told that a cloud came and the glory of the Lord filled that place. And they were overwhelmed and Moses couldn't stay in the region. That the glory of the Lord overwhelmed them. So a cloud came and the glory overwhelmed them. This is interesting in context because later on when Solomon, about 600 years later, and they pack up the tabernacle and build the actual temple, the exact same thing happens. A holy cloud comes and the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And wouldn't you know, when Jesus was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, the cloud came. And when Peter describes that event in Second Peter, he says the glory of the Lord was in that place. The tabernacle, the temple, and Jesus Christ's glory unveiled to the apostles on the Mount of Transfiguration. And yet it begins here. There's always a journey, right? Jesus said in the Gospel of John, others have labored before you, you enter into their labor, and we're just a continuation of that. God's holy cloud, his presence, his glory, his worship, it was happening long before we came on this planet, and it'll be happening after we leave this planet if he doesn't sound the trumpet beforehand that it's the end game for the planet. We're just the latest extension of God doing things in our timeline. If you think about it, you think of the Calvary movement, and if you've ever read the, the book uh, Memoir of Grace or Venture in Faith, the video and the book that Chuck wrote plus the video, it's, it's an amazing story of how, you know, Pastor Chuck pastored these small churches all over the Southwest, ended up over here by Newport Boulevard, pastoring a very small church and like a funeral home, essentially. And then one thing led to another, and eventually they were on Sunflower, and then they bought that property over there, 3600 South Fairview Avenue, and they, they bought that property, and they had a tent, and then they built the building, and they, you know, that's why it always needs to be renovated, right? Because it's one thing, if you own a building, it always needs to be upgraded, and, and there it is today when you drive by it, and, and yet Pastor Chuck's been with the Lord for more than five years now, and praise the Lord, he didn't have to live to see some of the things that we've lived to see in one sense, because they weren't for him to see but they're for us to see. And this is our timeline. And so there's a work for us to be done. There's a work for us to be a part of for us here tonight, a work that we've inherited from previous works. And even as Scott was saying about works 20 years ago that God did, and singing a song like To Live For Your Glory, is that's related to 
timeline, it showed like 2008 copyright, but he had that song long before then. And the songs take us to timelines, right? And they tell us the different works. If we play God of Wonders, I'll think back to early 2000 for sure. And so it's all there for us. And as we pause at a 15-year anniversary and we pause in the middle of this year of such just unimaginable things that we've, we've been through, are going through, and are in the middle of, yet we're going forward. We have communion. We're praying for the next generation. They're wearing masks. But we're going forward. We just, we have the ability to adapt human beings. It's amazing how we do. If you study human history, you know that. And we just adjust and find a way. And we want to enjoy the human experience as God's designed it for us and want to be as fruitful as we possibly can with the Lord as he's taken us forward in it. And in this story, as they focused on the Lord and the work of the Lord, this is the work of the Lord. This is not their house they're building. This is not their assets they're securing or their wealth they're planning for or their college loans they're taking out. This is the work of the Lord. This is the central place of worship that would guide their children, their children's children, and many, 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 many generations to come. What happened here in this story was very unique without anything preceding it of this level or following it of this level. This is a very unique thing where God was doing a very unique and special work to build the tabernacle. And it was there in front of them. Now, we know that those over 20 never entered the promised land because of what happened a year later at Kadesh Barina. But those under 20 did enter the promised land. So we think of our high school seniors that were just up here. If this were a similar situation and you brought your offerings to the Lord, not only did you bring offerings with adults around you, but regardless of what the adults did, God turned his attention to you. And 40 years later, you entered into the promised land with some old folks like Joshua and Caleb. So we all, we all make our own decisions in our timelines as we choose to with the Lord, which is the first thing we see. Moses said, whoever is of a willing heart. Whoever is of a willing heart. I think it's good to be reminded tonight that we can choose the Lord or choose not the Lord. It's like Joshua said at the end of his life. You can choose to serve the gods on this side of the river like your forefathers did, or you, you, we're going to do what we're going to do, but we're going to, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We all make choices, and we live with those choices. You think, again, going away to college. You make good choices at college, good things happen. You make bad choices at college, bad things happen. You make good choices, you sow to the spirit, you reap life. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. And there's choices. And God allows his choices. He is sovereign in his universe, but he allows his free will and uh, self-determination in our human experience. And in this situation, it was a choice. Whoever is of a willing heart. That's the invitation. It's like Jesus when he stood at the feast and said, whoever has a willing heart, come to me, and out of their, their heart will come torrents of living water. Like, it's, it's there. It's a willing heart. So as we think about the character of God tonight and the faithfulness of God, we're reminded yet again in this text that God doesn't force himself on anybody or anything. Yeah, let God be true and every man a liar. Yes. Oh, oh, like I said Tuesday night, is I've meditated for three, four weeks about things going on. I, I'll say it again tonight. I have found three things that are perfect in justice, 
equality in truth. Because everyone wants truth, real truth, because of all the mixed up news. Real justice and equality. The grave, the cross, and the throne of God. You come to any one of those three places, you will find perfect truth, perfect justice, and perfect equality. I asked the Lord. I went silent for weeks. Lord, what would you say to me? And that's what he said to me. And I say to you. So let God be true and every man a liar. And we make our choices and we live our life. And we might end up at 90 in assisted living where we can't anyone visit us. So make your choices wisely and think them through clearly. And may we be wise enough to continue to make good decisions based upon faith in Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. But we come with a willing heart. We don't come here begrudgingly out of religious obligation, or we shouldn't, but we come here with a willing heart. We don't receive offerings. I don't give my offerings begrudgingly. I do so with a willing heart. A generous man, a generous woman is generous, and they see people how they can serve them and bless them and build them up. But if you're carnal and selfish, you're just the center of your universe and your gravity and everything revolves around you. And that's what you'll get at the end of your life. Everything revolved around you. Far better to lose your life for Christ's sake and find it in him and give it away and sow it bountifully for others. We don't get a redo. That is for sure. So we're reminded tonight that whoever has a willing heart, and as we think about going forward in our personal lives, I encourage us to seek the Lord for our own lives and our own families and just the universal church as a whole and our place in the body of Christ. How willing is our heart for the things of the Lord in our life personally as we turn the corner in the second half of this year? Has the events that have rocked our world moved us closer to the Lord and more all in with the Lord? Or they've kind of pulled us back from the Lord? You'd be surprised because, you know, you never know. Some people check out when things go bad. Like some people press in, some people check out. Some people just kind of just get callous anyways. It's like, well, this is what it is. But things have been shaken. And we're told in the New Testament, when things are shaken, the things that are solid remain. And we're told that all things are tested by fire. And we're actually told that judgment, or it's the word, begins in the house of the Lord. And who's not to say that, that the shaking that's going on all around us, all over the planet, I mean, obviously, we're in the middle of global things. The pandemic is global. The civil unrest and lawlessness is global. I mean, it's, it's crazy to see this stuff. And a redefining of the whole purpose of the human race would seem global right now. Things are shaking, and they're shaking. And Jesus said they would shake, and we would shake even more. And maybe it's like uh, when women are, have, they're pregnant, they have Braxton Hicks, and it seems like there's a, it's a fake contraction. But when you're really going to have a baby, it's real contractions. And they pick up in pace, and they pick up in intensity. And Jesus said for his return, this not Braxton Hicks. It picks up in pace, and it intensifies. So maybe we're there, maybe we're not. I don't know. Just so you know, as a disclaimer, especially for younger people, there's lots of generations that thought they were the end of the world. 
So if you think, ah, oh, these old people think it's the end of the world, and where's my future? Well, just know this. Lots of people, like when Napoleon went into Moscow, they thought it was into the world. Okay, like there's all kinds of times. World War One, they definitely thought it was into the world. That's when we got the Jehovah's Witnesses and all kinds of other stuff like that, that it was the end of the world. And it wasn't. Now, in 2020, we can say anyone that was a teenager during World War One, it was the end of the world because they're gone. And there's an end of the world for all of us. But it's about the willing heart. And it's about if we're willing to come and we're willing to give of ourselves to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And if we're willing to be all in for the Lord, whatever it is he has for us to do. He's not forcing his call on our life. He's not forcing the kingdom on our life. It's a, it's a whoever, whoever is willing. And by the way, we know what Jesus said to the nation of Israel 1,500 years later. How I want to gather you like a mother hand gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling. So as we take inventory halfway through this unusual year, we want to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know, Lord, I've not yet arrived, like Paul said, but I want to be willing and I want to be all in all the more, whatever you want to do, whatever, how crazy it may seem or sound. I want to be a woman of faith. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be an old man of faith, a young lady of faith and anything in between, but to be willing. And they were willing. The invitation went out. They were willing. I've given invitations to Christ for many years under many different circumstances. And I can honestly tell you, I've never tried to be manipulative. And Daniel, you're a witness. You see me give a lot of them on the road. And Scott, too. I've never tried to be like, work people up. And con- I've never tried to like sell you something. I just have presented the gospel. And times when I thought, man, I did a really good job and no one came forward. I didn't take it personal. And times when I thought it was a disaster and 500 people came forward, I, I didn't take it prideful. I was just so relieved they did at a major event. In the end, it's, it's human choice. Now, we also see, so it's our choice to respond to the invitation. How are we going to respond to the work of the Lord in the second half of 2020? And then the response, it says, so it was a willing heart. It's not, it's not robotic. We're not artificial intelligence. We have choice. Then we see here in verse 21, then everyone whose heart was stirred and who, whose spirit was willing. So notice the progression of the heart here, that the heart is stirred. So they were willing and the hearts were stirred. So as they considered the invitation from Moses and what the need was, their hearts were stirred. And because they were willing, and we read in verse 22, they came, men and women, as many had a willing heart. They came. Moses didn't go around to people and say, you better get to church, it's the end of the world, or you better get to church because your mom's going to be upset or whatever. Like, that, that choice element was there. Men and women. And it, we read in verse 25 that the women who were gifted artisans, they spun the yarn for the thread and all that would make the holiest of holies and all these things. And it said, and all the women whose hearts were stirred, verse 26, with wisdom, and they did it. And the rulers came in verse 27, and they led by example, and they brought the precious stones and the children of Israel brought the free will offering, verse 29, all the men and women whose hearts were willing because their hearts were stirred. They, they responded. They responded. And that is the action. And I'm not sure what that response is for you, for us, for me, in the second half of 2020 or an uncertain future. But we want to be stirred. Now, we're told in Psalm 37 that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give us the, what? The desires of our heart. And that's a key thing because it tells us that if we're seeking the Lord and drawing near to the Lord, that 
as we wait on the Lord, he'll speak to us and he'll begin to guide our hearts. That's why Paul wrote the Colossians say, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And Jesus said, I give you a peace not as the world gives, but a perfect peace that surpasses all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So as we seek the Lord and find our delight and purpose and peace in the Lord, his spirit will give us peace and direct our heart and move our heart toward the yeses and nos of what we're called to do. And we find ourselves naturally magnetically moving toward the things of the spirit if we're seeking the things of the spirit. And it'll begin to direct us and move us. And if we're a spirit-led woman or spirit-led man, we can hear the voice of the Lord and become tuned into that frequency. And we will we'll be sensitive on a daily basis to how the Lord wants to use us, but we'll also be sensitive on a bigger basis for a bigger picture how the Lord wants to use us. In the book I've been reading of Ivan Prokhanov, the Russian pastor there between like early, like 1900 through 1935 before he died in exile in Berlin, he unified millions of Russian believers, unlike anyone ever has previously or since. One man. And I've shared things about Ivan Prokhanov from the pulpit throughout this COVID time. It's just gotten my attention. It's just so radical. I mean, his wife died, and it took him 10 months to find out that she had passed away because it was during the Civil War between the White Army and the Red Army and the Communists and the Bolsheviks after World War I, after they pulled out. And then his one son died as well. His son died. He had two sons. They both were in the ministry and loved the Lord. One died at 25 and uh, preceded him to the grave. But he said there was such a spirit of pessimism throughout Russia, and of course, I mentioned this, but I randomly Googled in some historical videos on YouTube, worst time to ever be alive. Oh, okay. Well, I just saw it like, you know, on the right sidebar. Worst time to ever be alive. Russia, 1900 to like 1950. Worst time to to be alive, worst place to live. That's when he lived. And he said there's a spirit of pessimism is the word he used, that things are bad and going to get worse. Well, in fact, they actually were bad. And by golly, they did get worse. Because Stalin murdered millions of people in the gulags. It's insane what went on with the Bolsheviks and this became the Soviets and the, the communists and what they did. But his whole key was that he maintained a positive outlook on things and he said he used the word optimism over and over and that that was the central message that he carried in his generation from the time of the czars, the czar, you know, Nicholas II trying to hold on before it all caved in during World War I, and it was all just a massive revolution in the largest country in the world, and just unraveling. But like, it was always about who Jesus is, what he's done, what he'll do, and what he's going to do. And he never moved from that. So in spite of his wife passing after about 12 years of marriage, he was very handsome and she was very beautiful. And she died pretty young. And then, like I said, his sons died. His son died. The one son died before he did. And then he was exiled by the Soviets. The communists expelled him from his mother country, where he died in exile in Berlin in 35, which picture Germany in 35, right? Well, that's Hitler. That's the brown shirts. I mean, that's when he lived, in exile as a Russian. You're just trying to imagine it. And through it all, and he ends his book, it's a biography, and he ends his book while he's still alive in Germany in exile. So it's a very unusual ending of a book you're like well like can someone write like a epilogue or something like well after this these things happened he died peacefully and his other son did this and you know he wrote thousands of hymns you can't even find them i've tried to find them 
They became popular hymns amongst the farmers and the villagers throughout Russia. But the central theme was optimism. And that optimism was based upon being in the presence of the Lord and believing the promises of the Lord no matter what was going on around him. And as calamity after calamity, and they had massive famines, millions starved to death between 20 and 22 in the Russian people. Millions during the Civil War. And then even when Stalin came to power and consolidated his power, we know that the, the, the forced genocide starvation of the Ukrainians was millions of people. The worst genocide in human history was Stalin's genocide of starvation against Ukrainian people in the mid-30s. So that's again during Prokhanov's time. And that was considered part of Russia at the time. And yet the optimism of faith, and this is what we need going forward. We need to delight ourselves in the Lord. We need to spend time in the Lord, and we need to have a compass and a plumb line that says Jesus is on the throne, and my confidence is in the Lord, and he's got this. And everything that ever happened that seemed a setback, and let's be honest, having a pastor's conference with hundreds of youth pastors and youth leaders and having the forerunner of the KGB show up and arrest all of you and take all of you to prison from a pastor's conference that would look like a pretty bad ending to a pastor's conference. You know, Brian Burson's about to have an online pastor's conference. And last year they met in person. Can you imagine something like that happen? And yet they saw it all as for good, and they looked for the good, they believed in the good, and they trusted in the good. This is how we need to be. I believe God has brought me to Russia. I believe he's had me study Russia and the Bolsheviks and these things to understand how these things have worked in the past so we can learn from them for our future. Because if globalist Marxists come to power, this is our future. And we need, God's had me learn. I never had any interest in Russia until a year ago. And he put it on my heart and he sent me there. And I've studied tremendous amounts of Russian history. I'm like, why, Lord? Well, why did he send me to Vermont? He sent me to Vermont to show me the future of America. That's what he did. He showed me where it was going. And he sent me to Russia to understand the past. And I don't know if it's for a future. But I do know in these lessons of studying Russian history and what they've been through in the last hundred years, it, it has to be about Jesus. And I'm not going to allow anyone to bait me on things that take me away from Jesus. I don't need to justify myself at all. When we went through a church split in Virginia the first year, and it was horrible, I got up and said this, I'm not going to attack the person attacking me, and I'm not going to offend myself. I'm just going to tell you God called me to be here. And if you trust me as a pastor, we'll be here next Sunday. Two-thirds of the church left, and we started over. And I'm not going to react, but I'm going to be spirit-led from that secret and that quiet place with the Lord. And that's how we all need to be. So we can be optimistic, whether it's the Tsarists or the Bolsheviks or this group or that group, whatever, affecting and changing, because it's really hard to follow what's going on with government these days. Because no one seems to truly be in authority. No one seems to be under authority. And we're in a nation filled with lawlessness. So let us abide in Christ and be governed by his word and by his spirit. And let us be optimistic. Let our hearts be stirred with availability. Let our hearts be stirred with wanting to do the things of the Lord because we're abiding in the Lord. That's how we want to be going forward in general, but it's specifically for such a time as this. They had willing hearts 
and they had stirred hearts. So it's not a time to retract in fear, but it's in fact a time to press in in faith to be stirred for even greater things. Thus our philosophy of sowing bountifully in a famine. God told me right away, do not be afraid. Fear no evil. Fearing the Lord makes everything contrary to the Lord subject to that. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. These are the things that guide and govern our life as we turn past 15 years as a church, moving past 20 years as a ministry, and going forward in this year of 2020. And finally, we see in the latter part here in verse 34, it says that he, so the willing heart, the stirred heart, and it says in verse 34, he that is the Lord put in his heart, that is in Bezalel's heart, the ability to teach in him, that is to communicate and lead others, and Ahiliab, and that he had filled them, that is the Lord, verse 35, with the skill to do the manner of work of the engraver that required. And then we read in verse chapter 36, verse 1, that every gifted artesian whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding, it spread. And we want to be thinking how God can spread his kingdom and his work in our lives as we go forward in our history as a local church under very unusual circumstances. It is my heart. It is our heart and leadership. It is our passion to seek the Lord and as best we can understand how the kingdom can expand and how to be a part of that and trust in him to put the ability in us to do what he's called us to do. For we have said this so often, and we said this Tuesday night, it's not our ability, but our availability. And that's really what it's about. And if you study the book of Acts in church history, it is the availability. All these amazing missionaries in church history, more often than not, they were the people, the women and the men that were rejected by missionary societies or church leadership that simply made themselves available and great things happen. In our own world with Calvary Chapel, we can only, we don't need to look any farther than people like Raul Reese and Mike McIntosh and Greg Laurie and these amazing people who are ministering to the president. Even Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse, a rebel with a cause. He was a rebel. He broke his mom's heart. He broke his dad's heart. He was a rebel against God, the son of the great Billy Graham. And yet once he was available, and aren't you glad that Franklin Graham's walking with the Lord in 2020? Aren't you glad that Ben Corson's walking with the Lord in 2020 in great glory? I'm glad Raul Reese is still alive. I love to look at his Instagrams because I feel like he so reflects me. He's smart enough to keep it under a minute, by the way, right? He's got that under the minute Instagram going. But he just, he, you know, and he's gotten cleaner and tighter as this has gone on. And I'm so glad that one of those guys from the Knights of the Round Table with King Arthur is still around. And I can hear the wisdom and the oracle of the Lord through them. Because Pastor Chuck is gone. And he was a leader for all of us in the Calvary movement. And we can listen to his studies and all that stuff, but he doesn't have a word for us in 2020. The Lord has a word for us in 2020. And we need to 
be so open and so get after whatever God has. And we need to be inspired and we need to go for it. And so when I look at a Raul Reese and a Mike McIntosh and a Greg Laurie, when Greg Laurie was ministering to the president on Easter Sunday, I was like, this is Greg Laurie. Like it was the Greg Laurie study in 1987 that convinced me I could go into ministry and, and that God would be with me. Forgiven and Used was a cassette tape by Greg Laurie I listened to on November 1st, 1987 on the drive between Santa Cruz and coming home where I surrendered to the Lord and said, okay, I'll go into ministry. It was a Greg Laurie cassette tape, Forgiven and Used, a six-part, six-cassette tape series called Used of the Lord, and one of them was Forgiven and Used. And there he is on Easter Sunday during COVID, ministering to the present with a half a million people and tens of thousands of people making first-time commitments to Christ. Let's let God equip us in new ways in the power of his spirit with new vision and new equipping. Let's go for superpowers. Let's go for more superpower. Let's believe for greater power. Let's believe for greater miracles. Let's pray with greater fervency. Let's believe with greater expectancy. And that's all going to come from being willing in the heart, stirred in the heart, and then the heart is equipped by the Lord for the task, for we can't do it ourselves. And we know for it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So may we all be encouraged as we go forward from the halfway point of 2020 to realize the work of the Lord is never done until the trumpet sounds. There is work to be done. And we are a local church, part of the universal church, part of the Calvary Chapel movement. And we're just getting started on 2020. There's, there's so much to be done. There's so many needs, there's humanity, and there's no shortages of bringing Christ and the optimism and the hope of the gospel to humanity in our time zone and to our country and to the ends of the earth. And, and let us just be so stirred from our time with the Lord that we find ourselves empowered by the Lord to attempt great things because we expect great things because our God is the God of great things. And it was to the church of Jesus Christ he said, that he is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask for his glory in his church. And we are his church, and he's not abandoned us. In fact, he's looking to pour out on us and use us in ways that's not even yet entered our minds. Our expectancy needs to go up, and our availability needs to increase. And I speak for myself. So be encouraged, WG. Thank the Lord tonight. Here's our pillar. We pour the oil on it. We say thank you, Jesus. But let's Oh, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Because the trumpet hasn't sounded. And when it sounds for you personally, or for me personally, or for all of us, we'll know. But until then, there's first semesters to go to. There's children to be born. There's children to be raised. There's grandkids to look after. There's things to do. And let's bring the hope, the faith, the optimism in Christ into all of it, no matter what is going on around us.